Please turn with me now to the New Testament and to the Gospel of Luke, Luke chapter 16. Luke chapter 16, beginning in verse 1. He also said to his disciples, There was a certain rich man who had a steward, and an accusation was brought to him that his This man was wasting his goods. So he called him and said to him, What is this I hear about you? Give an account of your stewardship, for you can no longer be steward. Then the steward said within himself, What shall I do? For my master is taking the stewardship away from me. I cannot dig, and I am ashamed to beg. I have resolved what to do. When I am put out of the stewardship, they may receive me into their houses. So he called every one of his master's debtors to him and said to the first, How much do you owe my master? And he said, A hundred measures of oil. So he said to him, Take your bill and sit down quickly and write fifty. Then he said to another, And how much do you owe? So he said, A hundred measures of wheat. And he said to him, Take your bill and write eighty. So the master commended the unjust steward because he had dealt shrewdly. For the sons of this world are more shrewd in their generation than the sons of light. I say to you, make friends for yourselves by unrighteous mammon, that when you fail, they may receive you into an everlasting home. He who is faithful in what is least is faithful also in what is in much And he who is unjust in what is least is unjust also in much. Therefore, if you have not been faithful in the unrighteous mammon, who will commit to your trust the true riches? And if you have not been faithful in what is another man's, who will give you what is your own? No servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else you will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, this is indeed your word. It is perfect. It is precisely as breathed out by the Holy Spirit, as indeed spoken by the Lord Jesus Christ, given for the edification of the church. Lord, we must plainly confess the fault lies with us as we find some of these things very difficult to understand, very difficult to receive. And so, Heavenly Father, we pray that you would do your great work, that you would open the eyes of the blind, enable us to see that which you are communicating to us and to be blessed by it. We ask in Christ's name. Amen. So from what seems a brief time in chapter 15, we now suddenly are in chapter 16. And once again, we have this long, extended parable. But unlike the parable of the prodigal son, which is surely one of the most popular parables, and as I mentioned, one that everyone seems to know what it's about, but sometimes read in some wrong ideas to it, This one is one of the very least popular parables. 
It's the figures that aren't quite so attractive for whatever reason. And people don't claim to understand it very well. Now, this parable, I have to say, is not at all disconnected from the material in the previous chapter. It isn't one of the set of the three parables that explain the very same point, but the the setting, the time, seems to be the same. He says there's no new information about the setting that's given, as as often is the case in Luke, but rather he says uh, in in verse 1, he also said. So having said these other things, now he's also saying something else. And the, the chapter division is just artificial. It's not inspired. That 16 could just disappear. And you would see that it's, it's happening in the same situation as with the previous parables. The difference, the distinction, though, is what he goes on to say. He also said to his disciples, right? So the previous parables were said to or perhaps even against the Pharisees. And now this one is said to his disciples. Now, we don't need to limit that word disciples, the idea of that, only to the twelve since we know that there were others who were following Jesus, so his disciples in a larger sense. But again, the point is, it's not the Pharisees. And we don't know, by the way, uh, when, when we certainly know in, in verse 15 that the specific situation that Jesus was speaking about uh, to the Pharisees was how that they were complaining that Jesus was celebrating with the repentant sinners. So all the rest of it, as it were, makes sense to us. We can, we can understand that specific context, and therefore we see how these things are related to it, and we can, it's helpful there. Well, we actually don't have the specific situation. All we have is this, at the conclusion of the parable, for the sons of this world are more shrewd in their generation than the sons of light. And that's sufficient for us. However, I would just put the question out to you. Just, just uh, I, I want you to consider as we're going through this, what might possibly have been the situation for those disciples that might have prompted Jesus then to speak this parable to them and to tell them that the sons of this world are more shrewd in their generation than the sons of light. Well, what we can certainly know, whether we know the precise situation or not, we can be certainly know that the problem with the, the sons of light is that they just aren't very shrewd with their use of material resources, at least not as shrewd as the people of this world. Now, people in this world, worldly people, are very diligent, they're very resourceful and shrewd about advancing their position in the world. Now, all things being equal, they might... might possibly want to keep money and resources for themselves, but they're wise enough, they're shrewd enough to know that resources are there to be used for some purpose. And they're willing to use it. They're willing to use their resources in ways that count, in ways that will advance their position and make them secure. Resources are there. They're there to be used for some purpose And they're shrewd enough to seize that opportunity and to use that for their advancement in this world. And here's the point of the parable. Now, this is called the the unjust steward, but that's not the point. It's not that the, the injustice of this man is what Jesus wants us to emulate. Certainly not. Jesus makes that very clear in the text, as we'll see. 
The point is that he was shrewd, and he shrewdly used the things that were given into his hand to create the very best possible situation for himself in the future. I say to you, verse 9, I say to you, make friends for yourselves by unrighteous mammon, that when you fail, they may receive you into an everlasting home. That's the point. He's speaking to those who are not at all shrewdly using the material resources given to their hands. He says we could learn something from this very shrewd steward. Well, that's the title, Learn from the Shrewd Steward. And I have three points. The first, an expiring stewardship. The second, some commendable shrewdness. And third, the principles involved. An expiring stewardship, some commendable shrewdness, and the principles involved. So first, an expiring stewardship. There was a certain rich man who had a steward, and an accusation was brought to him that this man was wasting his goods. Now, wasting his goods does not necessarily mean fraud. Right? Notice that he is not being turned into the authorities for theft. Had it been for embezzlement, it surely would have been. So probably this just means that he was not very good at being a steward. The steward's job is to maximize the use of the master's resources to the, the, the master's advantage, and he was just wasting them. Right? So he's going to get fired from the job. In verse 2, he called to him and said, what is this I hear about you? Give an account of your stewardship, for you can no longer be steward. Now, his stewardship, of course, was always limited. It's never going to be forever, but now it is it's expiring very soon. He's being told to gather up the account books. The decision's already been made to fire him. He's not given it. When he says, give an account of your stewardship, it's not um, come and maybe you can prove yourself to be okay after I look at this more carefully. It's rather, you're fired, gather up, figure out your, you know, get your books in order, the books that I gave you, get them all in order, hand them back over to me because someone else is going to be steward besides you. And here's the dilemma for this steward. In verse 3, the steward said within himself, what shall I do? For my master is taking the stewardship away from me. I cannot dig. I'm ashamed to beg. And what he's saying is he's not employable in anything else. He's not used to manual labor. And those who are not used to manual labor, it's, it's hard to understand just what it takes to do that sort of work, but this man knew enough to know that he wasn't cut out for that. And he says he's ashamed to beg. Well, he's in a dilemma then. What is he going to do? Well, how is he going to live? Is there any, is there any way that he could use the remaining hours of his expiring time as steward to help himself? Here's where the shrewdness is going to kick in. Now, we'll answer that in just a moment, but, but let me just for a moment step back and look into the bigger picture. Again, we don't press the points of the parable too much, but let's just be reminded of, of some things that we can be absolutely clear of, even if we had, uh, there was no Luke 16 at, at all. We would have from other parts of Scripture. All right? We can say that God is the ultimate rich man. He is the creator of all things, and we are his creatures. 
we are creatures of dust. And if we have anything at all, we can be certain it's because he has entrusted it into his hands. He asserts that, that divine prerogative. He says if anyone is, who, who makes one to be sighted and who makes one to be blind, who makes one to be rich and one to be poor, it is all in the hands of God. If we have anything, it's because he has entrusted it to us. That's true of our talents, naturally. It's true of our spiritual gifts, certainly. And it's true of our material resources. Now, the the question is, what does God want us to do with our material resources? Certainly to use them for our needs, absolutely. Yes, to enjoy them. But certainly also to use them for his kingdom. And again, I will just say, as we, we look at the larger picture here, give an account of your stewardship. A reminder that one day we will have to give an account of our stewardship of the things that God has put into our hands. But back to the parable. There he is now. He's gathering up the account books, trying to get them in order to, to hand them back to the, the master, getting them in some basic order. And he's thinking now, how can I use my remaining time as a steward? How can I use my remaining time to, to give some advantage to me? What can I do? Well, our second point is some commendable shrewdness. Okay? Here's some commendable shrewdness. So looking through those account books, and all of a sudden, an idea pops in his head. I have resolved what to do. That when I'm put out of the stewardship, they may receive me into their houses. Who's he talking about? The tenants. His master's tenants. Now, by the way, it's good to keep that inge- the objective that he's just said in mind because Jesus is going to refer to that later on when he explains the parable. But his objective is that they may receive me into their houses. I can't, I'm, I'm ashamed to beg. I can't really work. But I need to live. And how can I do that? I want them to receive me into their houses. Okay? And how is he going to do that? How is he going to use these last few hours? Maybe who knows how long he had as steward to make some friends. Here's the idea. Verse 5. He called every one of his master's debtors to him and said to the first, How much do you owe my master? He said, A hundred measures of oil. So he said to him, Take your bill, sit down quickly, and write fifty. Then he said to another, and how much do you owe? So he said, a hundred measures of wheat. And he said to him, take your bill and write 80. And no doubt this, these were not the only two. These are standing for many other examples. Now that is shrewd. It's, it's, it's in fact, and sometimes uh, amazingly simple. He, he's the, the steward, at least for a little while longer, and he had the account books. They were in his hand. And he was given the authority to make deals with people. And so he had the authority to adjust people's obligations. Again, this could actually be in terms of future rent owed, right? The tenants were on some sort of rent. They had some sort of deal. They had leases signed, as it were, for what they would owe their, their master. Maybe it was a past debt, maybe it's a future debt. In any case, he has the authority to adjust them as a steward. And so he used this authority to the hilt. This wasn't his money at all. But while he still had those account books in hands, he could do something with these resources. 
He could adjust these things downwards significantly. Let's imagine maybe that this was a year's rent, and in one case he halved it. And you can bet that they're going to be grateful to him. Talking about large sums of money. So much so that when the steward loses his job and has to go around asking to stay with someone, I think they're going to be willing to take him in. It would be the least they can do, right? Now, it wasn't his money. Let's just remind ourselves of this commendable shrewdness. It wasn't his money at all. In fact, this, this stewardship was always going to come to an end at some point, but now it's, it's, going to, it's, it's ending in the very near future. But he still, while he had the fleeting opportunity remaining in his hands, he used it to secure his position, and that is shrewd. So in verse 8, the master commended the unjust steward because he had dealt shrewdly. Because the sons of this world are more shrewd in their generation than the sons of light. Now, just to be clear, he is commending his shrewdness, not his injustice. He's not saying, well done for, un, uh, un, not unrightly, uh, for, for wrongly taking my resources and, and doing as you please with them. He is commending, though, his shrewdness. And this master that seemed to be pretty shrewd himself, he could look on with a certain degree of, of grudging admiration of this steward that he'd fired for using his stewardship to the hilt. That was commendable. Well, that's the parable. Thirdly, let's consider the principles involved here. Because Jesus didn't tell parables just for any old reason. He always had a point that he was trying to make in these things. He's trying to illustrate some spiritual principles. And here's what he says. Verse 9, And I say to you, make friends for yourselves by unrighteous mammon, that when you fail, they may receive you into an everlasting home. Now, please, as it's written here, you might get, it's still unclear. What is he talking about? It's kind of a mixed situation. You're not sure, but look, that word for everlasting, that's eternal. It's precisely the same word that Jesus used in every other place with regard to eternity, with regard to eternal life. He is speaking of your good situation in eternity, of your good situation in heaven. And he says, make friends for yourselves by unrighteous mammon, that when you fail, they may receive you into an everlasting home, an eternal home. Well, it's not exactly easy to understand, is it? Matthew Henry says this. Through whatever we have, we are, we, uh, whatever we have, our Lord's goods, yet as long as we dispose of them among our Lord's tenants, and for their advantage, it is so far from being reckoned a wrong to our Lord that it is a duty to him as well as a policy for ourselves. So the Lord has given to us various resources. There are none among us who have no resources whatsoever. Of course, if there was somebody in the world that had no material resources at all, this parable wouldn't apply to them. But inasmuch as you have resources given into your hand, the parable does have something to say to you. And what it's saying is that the Lord expects you and will commend you for using the things in your hand to the hilt for your eternal advantage. Okay? 
Now he goes on to explain that just a little bit more. He explains the, the, the comparison, the, the, the parallel. In verse 10, he who is faithful in what is least is faithful also in what is mu- in much. And he who is unjust in what is the least is unjust also in much. Therefore, if you have not been faithful in the unrighteous mammon, who will commit to, you in, to your trust the true? And if you have not been faithful in what is another man's, who will give to you what is your own? Okay, so let's... Let's just review a few things here, just so we start to make a little sense of it. And look, if you're a slight bit confused, please understand, this, this parable is extremely challenging. I found it one of the most challenging sermons to prepare ever, and, and we're not quite there yet, but let's, let's walk through it, all right? There are rewards in heaven, and they're differential. They're not the same for everyone, okay? That's, that's clear from multiple places in Scripture, that in heaven our situations will not all be the same. Now, in terms of being with Christ, absolutely, and that, that's the core anyways. In terms of having everlasting life, of course. But with regard to rewards in heaven, however they may be defined, I don't claim to understand exactly how that works, but they're differential and they're given in relationship to how faithful we have been in this world. You remember, of course, more than one time, Jesus says, I give something to someone, and they're faithful to it. And then on that basis, he gives rewards in, 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 in a, a rel- much greater, but in relationship to how faithful they've been with that. All right? So what he's saying is, among the many things that are in your hand as a Christian right now are your material resources, and he expects you to make as good of use of it as you possibly can for the advancement of his kingdom. You're making friends through the use of resources. Now let's just take a theoretical example, okay? Let's imagine, let's just imagine that no one ever gave to that box or to stewardship or whatever, this church would eventually close. Let's imagine that that was the case with every church in the world and that there were no more missionaries, no more church planters, no more ministers at all, and no more word of God. What would happen to the kingdom of God? Now, thankfully, we know that God is sovereign and it couldn't happen. But if it, if it did... It would grind to a halt, right? And and the Lord would look at his people with dismay and he would say, I gave you this money so that you can use it for making friends. Advancing your, not only my position as the king, as the Lord, my kingdom, but in so being advancing your own situation in eternity. As you use the things in your hands, Faithfully, And I tell you, I'm going to reward you greatly for every little thing that you do along those lines. He's telling us, if you've not been faithful in the unrighteous mammon, because that's, what he, that's the way he says it. Look, he's not, he's not putting some wonderful moral worth on money that isn't there. He's saying that you can, however, use it for something good. And if you've not been faithful in the unrighteous man, who's going to commit to you the true riches? What are the true riches? 
Um, he's speaking of these rewards in heaven. Because he's already speaking of the children of light. He's not saying, I'm going to, you can buy your salvation this way. If you use your, your unrighteous mammon, then you earn salvation. They're already saved if they're children of light. He's speaking of the resource, speaking of their, their eternal situation of rewards. Okay? That's the parable. That's the principle. Here's the application. Be shrewd. All right, we've got to learn from the, from the shrewd steward, and we ourselves have got to be shrewd in the use of the things that God gives us. And look, again, if you're looking for some amazingly high spiritual application of all this, it's not there. This is about money. It's about cash money, all right? We can't spiritualize it any more than, than what Jesus has plainly spoken to us about. And he's saying, just be shrewd. That's all. Just be shrewd about the money that he gives you. All right, what, what investment examples can we look at in, in God's word? What, what sort of situations has he committed? Because here in the parable, the, 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 uh, the master is commending this steward for the way he's being shrewd. Have there been any commendable examples in scripture? Just here's a few random ones. Second Kings 4.8, do you remember this one? Now it happened one day that Elisha went to Shunem where there was a notable woman, I mean a great woman, a woman who had resources, and she persuaded him to eat some food. So it was as often as he passed by, he would turn in there to eat some food. And she said to her husband, Look now, I know that this is a holy man of God who passes by us regularly. Please let us make a small upper room in the wall. And let us put a bed for him there, and a table and a chair and a lampstand. So it will be whenever he comes to us, he can turn in there. All right? Woman has a large house. And says, let's, let's make a little flat for the man of God that when he comes, he can live there. And do us some good as well as people around him. Good example. Or how about Matthew 26? There's another one. So the, in, in this case, this is a, a, an upstanding, uh, wealthy woman who's able to do this with a house. Well, maybe, maybe you don't have a house. What do you have? Matthew 26, verse 8. This is, of course, speaking of, of Mary Magdalene's amazing gift. And when his disciples saw it, they were indignant, saying, Why this waste? For this fragrant oil might have been sold for much and given to the poor. Do you see what they're doing here? This, this is exactly what Jesus is trying to talk about. Because these are the children of light. And they're the ones that think that they're so shrewd by saying we should, just, we should hoard these resources. Why wasn't this... Why this waste? Because they have their own idea of what should be done. Now, we know, of course, that Judas isn't really thinking about the poor. poor. He just wants to amass these things and, and to continually have them in his hands. But when Jesus was aware of it, he said, Why do you trouble the woman? For she has done a good work for me. You have the poor with you always, but me you do not always have. For in pouring this fragrant oil on my body, she did it for my burial. And assuredly, I say to you, wherever this gospel is preached in the whole world, what this woman has done will also be told as a memorial to her. That was, that was shrewd. That was shrewd. What was this woman going to do with that oil anyways? I don't know. Use it gradually, here and there. Eventually use it at some point. 
what, what is this worth? We're reading it again. How, we've read it several times in this church alone. All around the world, it was, it's read constantly wherever the gospel is preached. And now and for eternity, she has this memorial that cannot be gainsaid. The Lord Himself is her continual advocate and the, and the reward she will have in heaven. If this is what she did with her resources on earth, what is the Lord going to do in heaven for this woman? That was shrewd, good investment. Maybe a one we've already seen, Luke, Luke 7, centurion. Lest you think that, by the way, every one of these is an example of a woman, although there seem to be that quite a few of them. Notice, by the way, that it was the women who tended to support Jesus. But Luke 7, 2, and a certain centurion's servant who was dear to him was sick and ready to die. So when he heard about Jesus, he sent elders of the Jews to him, pleading with him to come and heal his servant. And when they came to Jesus, they begged him earnestly, saying that the one for whom he should do this was deserving. Why? For he loves our nation and has built us a synagogue. Now, I, I know you can say, yeah, 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 anyone can build a building. Was he spiritual? Brothers and sisters, I don't know much about this man, but Jesus tells me, but the word of God tells me that he built them a synagogue. And you know what that bought him? Favor with the Lord. All right. It bought him the opportunity then to have the attention of Jesus brought to his family. That's what it, it bought for him. And I don't think that Jesus is saying, wow, what a waste. He, he built you a synagogue? No, this is secured the advocacy of the leaders of that spiritual community. And it brought the the salvation, I think, of his servant, if not he and his household. What it says in this, in Matthew 10, 41-42, He who receives a prophet in the name of a prophet shall receive a prophet's reward. And he who receives a righteous man in the name of a righteous man shall receive a righteous man's reward. And whoever gives one of these little ones a cup of cold water in the name of a disciple, assuredly I say to you, he shall by no means lose his reward. Look, so let me just say, maybe you don't have a house. Maybe you can't build a whole synagogue. Maybe you don't have a life savings of the the magnitude of this huge container of fragrant oil to give. But maybe you have a cup of cold water. And Jesus says that even if you give that little much, that much, you will not lose your reward. Do you understand? He's not just saying, I expect obedience in this regard. I'm not going to give you anything for it in heaven. Everyone gets precisely the same. But what he says is if you give anything at all, you will certainly receive something for it. You're not going to lose your reward. He's, he's, He's a just God, you see. Now, beyond that, though, there's a hugely important principle involved in what he's saying. Okay? He is saying that whoever receives a prophet, meaning hosts him, meaning provides for the prophet, and he may, well very, he may very well have that example of the woman we mentioned in Kings in mind. He who receives a prophet in the name of a prophet shall receive a prophet's reward. And that's a hugely important principle. It's sort of like Einstein's equation, E equals MC squared, in which something of value in one realm can be exchanged into something of equal value in another realm. They don't look the same. You've got matter and you've got energy, and it doesn't seem like you can transfer one. You just say, this is just matter. It's worthless matter. 
What we really want is energy. And Einstein, rightly understanding the the nature of God's universe, says, actually, you can turn this matter here into energy. Point, principle. You can turn this unrighteous mammon here, not doing much, certainly not in eternity, you can turn it into eternal rewards, spiritually. Okay? That's what he's saying. And what, what he's saying is that the, the scripture clearly is putting a priority on the, scriptural, on the spiritual, on the means of grace, and therefore on the men who convey them, like prophets, for instance. And if these men were the only ones who would receive the rewards for what they did in eternity, then, of course, the great majority of us would be left out of this most lucrative avenue to rewards in heaven. Everyone would just be saying, well, there's a prophet. I, I wish I had a prophet's reward, but I'm just not. Right? And again, in particular, women would be essentially left out of that. But thanks to this principle that I'm just speaking of, this Einsteinian equation, you can cash your money in for the rewards given spiritually and eternally. Here's an example from the Apostle Paul in Philippians 4. Philippians 4.15. Now you Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, no church shared with me concerning giving and receiving but you only. For even in Thessalonica, you sent aid once and again for my necessities. Now here's what he's saying. So it's very clear. The sharing sharing entails giving. Verse 17, not that I seek the gift. He's not greedy for that. But I seek the fruit that abounds to your account, okay? What he's saying is they're not going to lose their reward. He is, they are sharing with him financially, and therefore the reward, and it's an enormous reward that's, that's, that's going to be going to Paul in eternity, for all the good that he's done, the kingdom of God, he says, you guys share in that. And I'm glad because that is going to your account. I don't think, by the way, that Paul's reward is going to be lessened for it. But what it means is that he's, his, now, his reward now applies to many others because they have a share in it. They've become stockholders. It's like some big company. People don't know who the shareholders are. But guess what? In the prosperity and blessing of that company, they themselves should have, a, have a share of that, an equal share. And that's what Paul is saying. You've become stockholders with me in this. It's all going to go to your account. Now, is this what the televangelist said, health and wealth, if you, you send money now? Well, no. Okay. First of all, it has to do with eternity and not in this life. You understand, that's, that's it. If you want good things in this life, it's, it's, it's possible, by the way, that you might want to use resources in your hand. We just said there's an example of, of a situation where the best thing you can do, even in this life, is actually to use resources rather than to hoard them. But we're not, speaking, we're not speaking of things in this life at all. All of this has to do with rewards in the next. But second, if you're going to get a prophet's reward, okay, you need to make sure that it's not a false prophet. That's the thing. That's, that's where the shrewdness comes in again. Because we're not speaking about sending this money to any old televangelist. All right? You've got to partner You've got to take, be a partaker with the genuine messengers of God for any of this to apply. Yet another reason, especially you young people, those who are heading off to college soon, university, 
you make sure that you go to the best church you can because, among other things, and a long, long list of why that's really important, because your money, and of course we tithe, is among other things making you a partaker in that man's reward, whoever that minister, that preacher might be. Hopefully you choose wisely. Now, let's just say, okay, so that's, this is the, the main application is that we need to be shrewd, okay? So that's, that's the big idea. Are there any more specific things here? Oh, oh one, one more thing before we leave that. I, I would just want to make sure that we're, we really understand we don't have to be so wealthy as to, have, to be able to provide an apartment or to be able to provide a life savings. I, I want us to see that it's not just that if you have a lot of money that you will receive a lot in, in eternity, but if you have very little, then also your opportunities are gone because that's not true either, okay? Because there's another part of this. It's not exactly like E, e equal MC squared because it's not a one-for-one or, or, or commensurate relationship. Because in Luke 21.1, he saw the rich putting their gifts into the treasury, and he also saw a poor widow putting in two mites. And so he said, truly I say to you that this poor widow has put in more than all. For these out of their abundance have put in offerings for God, but she out of her poverty put in all the livelihood that she had. So in God's goodness, in God's justice and righteousness and mercy and all the rest of it, it means that he understands a proportionality in this. That it is not necessarily the numerical value, but rather of what proportion, of what significance this gift comes from the resources that he has put into our hands. Well, what specific, then, opportunities do we have? We were praying for the church plan in Hexham. We were so thankful for God's blessing in that. And I'd have to say that in, in all of our participation through our, our gifts in that, this is a good investment. But you know what's wonderful about living in the time that we do? And I wouldn't change it. I, I used to. Would I used to? If you'd ask me, I'd say, "Look, if I could go back in a time machine, I would surely go back to another time in history than this one." But I don't think that anymore, because from an investment perspective, if you're being shrewd, now is a great time. Okay, this is the time to buy. All right, when it, when the land was filled with good churches, there weren't a lot of opportunities to plant new ones. Right, but now is a growth. Market, we, we think, we hope. God has opened the door wide for us to, to plant new churches. And I think that we could continue to do so for the next 50 years, and there still wouldn't be enough good churches in this country. So guess what? We have the opportunity in our day, a, a unique opportunity to plant more churches. And Hexham's not the end, right? There are other places. We've long been speaking and praying about Sunderland, uh, we, we've been, there's uh, uh, other ones which I'll, I'll not now mention, but we, we have many such churches that we can and should and I think must plant. What about the seminary? You know, it's been a long, long time since there's been any kind of, of full-on theological training situation in the north of England. If you look long enough, you'll, you'll find something, but it's been a long, long time indeed. And here we have, and look, we're a Presbyterian church. We make no bones about it. We think that this is the biblical means of church government, okay? And, and, and 
Presbyterianism will forever remain a foreign import into this land until the day that there is a Presbyterian seminary. Okay? And we have the opportunity to build that. Sounds like a pretty good investment opportunity. Lecturers, look, I'm, right now we're, we're asking someone in America to fund an eminent British minister to teach in his semi-retirement, which I'll not name. Somebody's about to get a seminary lecturer's reward, right? Unless one of you guys come and says, no, I, I want that reward. Don't you dare give that to somebody I don't know in America. I want that reward for, for us. Okay? Internships. We're not going to have those church plants if we don't have interns who are, are learning these things and are set aside from other things in order to focus on it. And yes, of course, the building. That man who built them a synagogue. Lots of people build buildings in this world. And they build it for all sorts of reasons. We have the opportunity, again, the unique opportunity. We're not those who have in- inherited some old building. We don't have one. And we can, in this day, in our generation, build a church. It's a pretty good opportunity as well. And some wonderful opportunities. Thirdly, and finally, of these applications, let me say this. Be saved. Okay? Because that is the ultimate of all these things, isn't it? If this man, if his objective of this shrewd steward was objective was just to be received into people's homes after he was cast out of the stewardship, far, far more important is that we make it into eternity where we will be received by the Lord eternally. And let me just say, that when, if you're shrewd, and I know there's some shrewd people out there, when a good deal comes your way, what are you going to do with it? Well, you seize upon it, don't you? People are sometimes assiduous of the things that they care about in this world. They, they look earnestly. They're waiting for these deals to come by. And when there's a good deal, they know it and they seize upon it. My friends, the gospel is a good deal. It's a really, really good deal. Jesus is saying, eternal life is yours for the asking. Now, you've got to renounce. Now, there is a little bit of a cost. We mentioned that. Yes, the world may not like you. You may have to suffer for his name to some extent in this world. Absolutely. And we know it's going to have to involve renouncing your own works. But basically, it's like a situation, like, a, like one of those situations they used to have with old cars. Right? There was a scrappage allowance. It was, it was out, of, out of all relationship to the actual worth of that vehicle because they wanted you to get rid of it. And so you take your old, your old beat-up old car that's worth 500 pounds, and they give you maybe 4,000 pounds to a new one. This is even better than that. You take your, your worthless righteousness. It has no worth at all. It's, it's, it stinks in the sight of God. And you say, I renounce this. And Jesus gives you a perfect white robe of, of, of his righteousness. Sounds like a pretty good trade. And you get to trade this as well. Instead of your working, trying to work for salvation, you trade a situation of, of working to of receiving by faith this great gift. I, I know some are shrewd. And my advice to you is to be shrewd enough to know that this is the best deal that there's ever been. To take the opportunity to receive it. Let's pray.
Gracious Heavenly Father, we are thankful indeed for your goodness to us. We are thankful for the resources, in fact, that you have put into our hands. Lord, we know that we are accountable to you for our stewardship of these things. You expect us to use them for some good purpose. You expect them to use them, if nothing else at least, to secure our, our best situation in eternity. So, Heavenly Father, we pray that we would learn from this shrewd steward, not to copy him in his injustice, but rather, Lord, to use the fleeting opportunities of the things that you have put for time into our hands for the maximum benefit, the maximum blessing, and for the maximum reward in eternity. And, Heavenly Father, how we pray also, Lord, that if there are any of those shrewd people who know how to make a drive a hard bargain and to look for the best deals that are outside of Christ, they would recognize the magnitude of the opportunity that is before them and that they would gladly exchange the things that are worthless in them to receive the greatest gift that could be conceived by receiving Christ in salvation. We ask this in his name. Amen.